This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Phil Goldberg, our podcast and YouTube channel, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. If you go to uh, uh, the uh, YouTube and you put in uh, Spirit Matters Talk, those three words, our YouTube channel will come up. And uh, we uh, want to thank anybody out there who's uh, helped us uh, stay on the air by uh, making a contribution to spiritmatterstalk.com. We're not a nonprofit but you can still help support us. And we have about 300 shows in our archives that we want to keep free and open to the public. And we have some really great uh, uh, interviews in there, some wonderful guests. And we have a wonderful guest today, Claire Goldsberry. She has experienced Protestant Christianity, Mormonism, uh, the ageless wisdom of teaching, Gnosticism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. And I believe she considers herself now a practicing Buddhist. She writes about religion and spiritual traditions for Quest magazine and other publications. And her latest book, The Illusion of Life and Death, which seems all inclusive uh, uh, it, with that title. And uh, I've gone through parts of it. It's, it's wonderful. It's thought provoking and very timely for uh, all of us, I think. So thank <laughs> you so very much for taking the time to, to come on with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I guess death is always a timely subject. Uh, always. <laughs> and as we age, it gets more timely. Uh, Claire, yes, it does. Um, <laughs> uh, your uh, bio is intriguing. Perhaps you could begin by telling our viewers and listeners uh, the short version of your interesting journey, uh, your own spiritual journey and how you came to write this uh, current book. Well, I've always been interested in religion and spiritual traditions, even though I was raised mainstream Protestant. And I just had more questions, always questioning. And uh, I, I've been recognized by one minister as having too many questions. He thought I should settle in. Um, and when I, um, when I got interested in, in Mormonism, he predicted that I would join the Mormon church. And I said, Matt, I don't think I will. And he said, yes, you will, Claire, because you have too many questions and the Mormons have all the answers. And so <laughs> that, that led to a 10-year journey through that into and out of. And, um, and I, I didn't accidentally, I think I was led into the Eastern philosophies uh, into Buddhism and Hinduism. And I've just took up that practice, I guess, because I really discovered a lot of answers for me uh, to a lot of the questions that I had when I was growing up. And I came to write this book because it started out as a journal, a daily journal, when my significant other uh, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer in 2002. And I kept this journal because I thought it was important because I had been learning for just very few years, probably about six or seven years, I'd been um, studying Buddhism and learning about uh, death from a Buddhist perspective. And all of a sudden I was being confronted to take that intellectual learning and allow it to transform my life because here I was being faced with it the death of someone you love 
And ultimately, uh, it turned into a book because I really began recognizing that we don't deal very well with death in the Western world, certainly not like uh, they do uh, in, in the East, uh, the Far East. And so it became a book and hopefully a helpful one. Right. I, I have a question. Uh, and again, in, 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 uh, in reading your, your writings and, and your mention about uh, somebody having a good death, and somebody assisting somebody and allowing somebody to have a good death and how different cultures and different, uh, even in, in our current uh, world, uh, different nations deal with it differently. Uh, and now the question I have is, you've been through a number of religions. I, I, I was raised one religion, uh, Catholic, and I consider myself agnostic now, but I've looked at them all and I've certainly been very influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism and e Eastern religions. And I, I sometimes think that maybe a person is attracted to a particular religion uh, because they like the way that religion deals with death, deals with the afterlife, deals with uh, whatever possibilities might be there. Uh, but then once they, they make that decision, and if it's because for whatever reason they, 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 uh, uh, they find that the most uh, satisfying possibility to them, then it's, uh, it goes on the level of faith. We're one, okay, I'm going to believe in this one because when it's all over, they're going to take me someplace I want to go or uh, in a direction I want to go in. And uh, do you see it that way or, or is there another way of looking at it? No, I, I think the way I looked at it at first, when I first fell into the, the Eastern philosophies, um, it really helped answer a lot of questions about life. Um, <laughs> a lot of questions that I had since childhood. Um watching, actually watching uh, film strips that the missionaries of our uh, denomination would send back from Africa and wondering why I had such a good life, this wonderful life with great parents and everything I ever wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and the children over there seem not to have very much. And it didn't jive with what I was taught by my parents that, well, God loves everybody. He loves mm -hmm. us all equally. Um, and we're all children of God. And so it really helped me answer life. And I actually began looking at the Eastern traditions, Buddhism at first, um, as answering some of the questions I had about life and about why we are where we are. And how did we how did we end up with this life and not another life? And and so it was really the idea of life that uh, and the questions that I had and the answers that I received that got me interested in that. The death thing came a few years later uh, when I began studying at uh, at a sangha, and they actually had what they called meditations on our own death. Mm -hmm. And that's when I began to think, wow. It's not just life. There's this other side of the coin that's death that is just as important to, to understand and to learn about as life is. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that meditate on our own death. I know enough to know that uh, both Buddhism and Hinduism have a lot of practices uh, that are essentially preparations for death or right. uh, ways of enhancing life by facing the inevitability of one's death. Right. Um, tell us about this particular practice. 
Well, it was not something we did, uh, say, every week in our meditations, but every now and then we would have a meditation on our own depth. And I think what it what it tried to do was to keep us mindful that death is certain, the time of our death is uncertain. And, and obviously that's, that's true for all of us. And I think it was a preparation in a way. And we would imagine, uh, you know, our death, you know, with the, um, with, you know, the, the inner winds moving up the central channel, you know, those things. And how would we die? Um, what would be your idea of, of a good death, of a perfect death? Um, my mother's idea of a perfect death was to die right there in her own home in the same county where she had been born some 90 years plus ago. So I think everybody has a different idea of what you know, their death might look like, but to actually practice it as it's outlined and maybe defined in the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying in that, those mm -hmm. middle sections there when it talks about the, the dying process, and uh, so that really helps a lot, I think. Great. Can I let me, follow let me, up, Dennis? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, is it essentially a way of visualizing the time of death? Is it contemplative? Do you ponder? Uh, how, how did it work? Well, I think it, it is visualization. You know, a lot of Buddhism is visualization. Um, about life and, and about death. So it is a, a visualization. Um, and maybe it's to help us when it actually comes to us, we have already visualized it. So it's not like a surprise, you know? Um, and I think that's important because people fear death. Um, if there's one thing we're afraid of, it's of losing these bodies, uh, you know, and, and how am I going to die? What's it going to be like? Am I going to be in pain? Am I going to go quick? Am I, is it going to take me, you know, weeks in a hospice facility? I think those are all questions people have. And I think the idea of meditating on one's uh, death, while you, we can't really know, <clears throat> does help us prepare for the inevitability the inevitability and of death. <laughs> okay. uh, let me, let me, along those lines, uh, uh, modern medicine, Western medicine has allowed people to uh, live longer. And some, some cases uh, when their bodies are really worn out and naturally they would be gone. And uh, in some countries uh, uh, it's, and it's been very controversial. Uh, people can make that decision. You know, my body's worn out. I'm done. I just give me an injection. Let me go peacefully with my family in a dignified way, rather than have this thing drag on for months or weeks and, and put my family in bankruptcy or for whatever other reasons. I just want to leave comfortably. Uh, and there's many religions that uh, will battle that. I'm not sure what Buddhists and Hindus would say about it, or if this has even come up before, because it's only really the modern medicine that allows this situation to, to exist for the most part. Uh, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I do discuss that somewhat in the book, uh, in the chapter on choosing death. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, people are becoming more aware. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, modern medicine can keep us alive. They can bring us back from the brink of death. They can bring us back uh, in near-death experiences. Near-death experiences, I think, are possible because of modern medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and I, 
I think it's up to every individual. I think being able to choose the time of our death is not a bad thing. And it depends on the person. Some people have really dire diseases, you know, ALS uh, diseases, where you're just gradually incapacitated right. over a long period of time. And, and some people just, yeah, like you said, they're, they're done. They want that ability to say, life is no longer enjoyable. I can't do this anymore. I, you know, want to die. And I think that they should be able to do that if that's what they choose. I think what Buddhism uh, believes about that, I don't know that there's a hard and fast answer to that. But what I have concluded from my studies is, you know, intention. You know, intention is everything. What are your intentions? Are your intention, intentions to alleviate pain and suffering? Then that may be a good reason to allow someone to, you know, to choose the time of their own death. Um, but that's, you know, my opinions and, and uh, I'm sure other people, you know, feel differently. Um, but I think there's room to allow for whatever mm -hmm. choice a person wants to make. A, a large part of what uh, your book seems to be about is uh, the fear of death. Um, it seems, and I'm curious because I've pondered this myself and spoken to people, uh, and I recently lost uh, two or three people who are very close to me. Um, is it the fear of being dead or is it the fear of the dying process that is most uh, terrifying to people? Well, I, I think from, from my experience in, in volunteering with hospice and, and in working with elderly people, I've loved elderly people since I was a teenager. And so I've always been around them. And I think the, I think it might be the dying process first. You know, will I, will I have pain? Will I suffer a long yeah. time? I think that's the first idea. Um, and I think a lot of it is connected with obviously our bodies. Our bodies feel pain. Uh, you know, we want to, we, we don't want to suffer. All of us just want to be happy and, and free from suffering. And so that might be the first question. The, the second worry or question they might have is where am I going to go after death? And I think that is uh, maybe not if so anywhere. much fear. <laughs> if anywhere, do we go? <laughs> do we go? Or uh, I've had uh, I've had some people say, "Well, it's supposed to be like a light switch. It just you know, it just switches off. You know, you don't really go anywhere." But I think people are afraid of losing their bodies. If I lose my body, do I still exist? You know, does all of this count for anything? You know, all I've done, all I've you know, all of my work. Uh, the people that I've enjoyed in my life, my relationships. And I think this idea of what happens to me, which probably is a very ego driven thing, you know, we're very attached to our bodies, you know, so non-attachment uh, helps, you know, the practice of non-attachment helps with that because I think that's really the, the big worry. Um, one time I had somebody say to me, he said, well, you know, all Christians want to go to heaven. They just don't want to die to get there. So I think, you know, there's this idea that, yes, there is something, but what am I going to have to go through in right. order to get there? You know? <laughs> right. So, and what am I going to, 
And what am I going to lose? Right. What am I going to lose? Right, right. It, it seems that uh, people that are of faith, whether they're uh, LDS or uh, a, a Catholic or Hindu, or whatever, uh, that really have a strong belief that this is what's going to happen, uh, approach death with greater confidence and comfort than somebody that's an atheist or agnostic that says, you know, I've, I've heard all the explanations. Uh, maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. I don't know. Uh, and there's a fear that nothing's going to happen. You know, that we don't know. I'm hoping for an afterlife. But I, and I've heard a lot of people say that. And I sort of, my, my, my thoughts sort of on it is, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm hoping something, something, but, but who knows? And so do you encourage, do you, I, I mean, first of all, uh, have you experienced that, that people of great faith uh, will, will approach this uh, uh, more comfortably than people that, are, that don't have faith? Well, you know, I, I've known both sides of the coin. I was good friends with a, an older woman. She was in her 90s when I met her. She was also a writer, um, had written children's stories throughout, children's books throughout her life, and had, had, had won a Newbery Award. And mm -hmm. she was a really good writer. And she believed in nothing after. She says, mm -hmm. nothing. She said, you just go. That's, that's the end. And she wasn't at all disturbed by death. Um, it just didn't seem to matter to her. You know, right. I've had a great life. I've done everything I wanted to do. Um, the end, that's it. On the other hand, I've known obviously mostly Christian people um, who were very much afraid of death. And I think that had to do a lot with the uncertainties of you know, this whole idea of judgment and, judgment. Yeah. you know, somebody's going to judge me and did I do all the right things and are they right. going to remember all the wrong things I did? And I think that, that for a lot of uh, Christian people, uh, they have this idea that, okay, maybe it's not the dying that's so difficult. It's where am I going to get sent once I'm dead? You know, right, right. You know, like going somewhere, well, somebody's going to send me somewhere. You know, they're going to send me to heaven or they're going to send me to hell. So. Right. I, I heard a, a story along those lines. I, I just wanted to take a second to, to let you know. The uh, comedian W.C. Fields, apparently, when he was uh, near death, and he had lived a pretty rough and rugged and uh, <laughs> uh, fun life, uh, uh, somebody saw him and he was reading the Bible. And they were shocked. They said, you're reading the Bible? He said, yes, I'm looking for a loophole in the law here. So it was, you know, I don't I know if that, that actually ever happened, you. but it's a great story. <laughs> That's a great story. And <laughs> I think a lot of people would like to find those loopholes. You know? <laughs> Faith only gets you so far. And then you Take your attorney with loopholes. you, yeah. In, in your experience, um, do people, how common is it for people in hospice or otherwise facing the inevitability of death coming closer and closer, uh, having experiences that ease their transition and change the way they understand death. And I've heard those stories. In fact, my father gave some indications that his lifelong cynicism and atheism about such things had shifted at the very end, which has often intrigued me. And I've never got to, you know, obviously ask him about it, <laughs> but is that common because of people having some 
powerful moment or experience that shifts them? Yes, it really is. Uh, I think most people do, you know, who, you know, who are in a position where they, obviously, if you're suddenly killed, you know, in a car wreck or something, you know, that may be a different story. But I think for people who are in hospices, who have had a, a lengthy illness and, and a, a time to, you know, a bit of time before they die, I have seen people, uh, including my significant other, who uh, began seeing what was on the other side, hmm. uh, making comments like, you know, I would say, oh, it's a beautiful day out there today, you know, and he would go, it's more beautiful over there. Hmm. Um, or it's, you know, uh, interestingly enough, the, the woman that I commented on earlier who did not believe there was anything after death, uh, I went to visit her in the nursing home uh, several times uh, during the weeks before she died. And uh, she kept telling me, she says, I don't know who all these people are that keep showing up in my room at night. She said, but they're just a whole room full of people. And she says, I don't even know who half of them are. And it was really, she was really kind of upset because you know, all these people were in her room at night when she was trying to sleep and she wishes they would go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think even if you don't believe in life after death, I think, you know, you still are, are given these experiences, but, and from what I've read, from what I've seen, um, in the few years that I was a hospice volunteer, people very much see beyond anything in, in this level of consciousness. They begin, uh, oftentimes my significant other, Brent, would, he would ask me, he would, you know, he would call for me and I would go out in the family room where the hospital bed was and, and he would go, am I dead yet? And I said, no, no, not yet. Right. I said, besides, if you have to ask me whether or not you're dead, you're probably not. Right, right. And, um, so because he was having these experiences that I think uh, maybe confused him, you know, am I still here? Am I somewhere else? Where am I? I had a, a very good friend, like many, uh, maybe most of us, who uh, was in a severe car accident when they were pretty young. And uh, they had a near-death experience. They left. They, they felt they were gone. They, they came back and, and all that. And, and uh, it, it absolutely, she says, since then, she's never had any fear of death. Now, I could argue, anybody could argue, well, there was still brainwave activity. Maybe it wasn't really. But from, if I have that conversation, it's like, no, this was real. This was, uh, you know, and, and there's no way to prove it one way or the other. But it was uh, really, and, and hearing somebody that I know and trust and have known for a long time tell me that, uh, it, it's fairly convincing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you'll have scientists that will debunk it, say, you know, it, it's still brainwave activity, even if the person was uh, uh, clinically dead for a few, for a certain period of time or not. But uh, there's been a lot of that. Now, I remember, I think the first book was Life After life or so life after somebody wrote it back in the 60s right. and it was very eye-opening and a lot has come out since then and a lot of people uh who had that experience that probably thought they were the only person in the world that had that experience realized that there were so many other folks that had similar experiences so when you're in in your research in your work in your work with hospice and in writing the book have you encountered a lot of folks that have had near-death experiences and is there some commonality uh, that uh, uh, the, uh, amongst those experiences, or are they all very different? No, I've not really known 
anybody in in my in recent years um, that has had a near death experience. Um, I did know someone when I was younger and uh, a gentleman that I would ride to work with. I lived in Northern Kentucky at the time and worked in Cincinnati. And, um, and one time he was telling me about his near-death experience. And the only thing that he didn't really go into any details, he just said, he said, I'll tell you one thing, I am, I am not afraid to die. The so, same thing my friend I, said. I, I think, exact same thing yeah. my friend said, yeah. Yeah, and, and you read a lot about that. I mean, I've read a lot about it. And uh, mm. in fact, I'm just, I'm covering a book right now for a book review uh, for Quest that's uh, called The um, the Afterlife Frequency mm-hmm. and uh, by Mark Anthony. I don't know if you have heard of him or not, but he's a medium and he, he does a lot of the, he talks about the near-death experiences. So I know there's a lot of people that have had them. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, I know a lot of people who point out that near-death experience isn't death. Right. And, and so there remains, you know, questions about what they've actually experienced and how much you can extrapolate from that to the actual experience of beyond near-death, but death. And uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think the mind creates all of our experiences. The mind creates, the mind creates the phenomenal world as quantum, even the quantum physicists are are talking about that and how we create the phenomenal world and how we create all of our experiences that, uh, you know, one of the things that used to be drilled into us when uh, at the Sangha that I attended was that um, everything is created in the mind by the mind and nothing has any inherent reality from its own side. And I do believe that we create everything we experience. Uh, I think we can create our life and I think we can create uh, what our death looks like. I think people will have different death experiences based on maybe their expectations or what they think about their, you know, the, the whole experience. So I, I don't know that, that it would be the, you know, the same for everybody. Um, the, the, the one ex, uh, example that I give in the book is, uh, is Howard Storm and his uh, book, uh, My Descent into Death. And I mentioned him because he was uh, from Northern Kentucky. He was a, an art professor at Northern Kentucky University. And uh, my family knew him. And uh, my mother had given me his book for Christmas. And and his experience was very interesting because it was one of these negative near-death experiences where he actually experienced um, monsters clawing at him and coming after him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had had a heart attack on the streets in Paris leading a a group of students on an art tour. And he, he didn't realize what was going on. He thought, well, this is terrible. What happened to the light and the love? And, you know, and then he realized that it was his own, that those monsters were his own ego and his dissatisfaction that he was only an art professor, that he wasn't a great artist uh, like he had imagined that he would be. And he, so he was dissatisfied with his life. And, and so once he recognized that those monsters were his own ego of his own creation, they disappeared. 
So I think a lot of it is, is the mind. It's a creation of the mind. So, oh, I'm sorry, Dennis. I thought you were asking a question. Um, uh, Claire, you speak a lot about uh, non-attachment. Now, this is, this is a, a concept that people, in, especially in the West, have wrestled with you know, once we delve into the Eastern teachings. And in my experience, very people often get it wrong. They, they mistake <laughs> non-attachment for being indifferent and apathetic. Exactly, exactly. So tell us what you mean by it and how it applies to uh, our confronting the inevitability of death and not just our own death, but the loss of loved ones along the way. Well, for me, non-attachment became one of these aha moments. Um, and people do get it wrong, just like they get karma wrong. Um, they get non-attachment wrong because they think, well, that means you don't care about anybody. Uh, and you're supposed to be attached to people you love. Um, and certainly we can love without attachment, which I think is, is an optimum kind of love. Um, you know, I've been accused of, well, you're not very compassionate if you're not attached to people. No, you're allowed to be more compassionate because you have non-attachment means you don't, your ego is not connected with that person. You are not tied up in that person's illness or their, their misfortunes. Um, and you are free to allow them to live their life. Uh, you're free to allow them to have the death, uh, the good death. It's, it's freeing, really. As long as you're attached to people and to things and to all that we have, uh, then your fear is the fear of loss. Attachment leads to this fear of loss. So now you're living in fear all the time. You're afraid your, you know, your, your brother's going to die. Your loved ones are going to die. You're, you're going to lose your house. Maybe there's going to be a storm and you're going to lose everything. Uh, you're afraid to lose your life savings because, you know, people, I know people that watch the stock market, like religiously, they're, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fear of losing my, my retirement savings. And so as long as you're attached to all of that, you're not free to just allow life to unfold and allow relationships to be without you getting entangled in all of this stuff, um, which causes you problems. Uh, so non-attachment is a very freeing practice, and it's one that has probably done more for me, um, given that I have four children, uh, and it, it really works well when you're, when you're dealing with people to be able to, to step back and not be attached, help them when needed, uh, but figure out the right way to help. Uh, if you're tat attached, sometimes you just you tend to jump in too fast and maybe you don't stop and use wisdom mind when mm -hmm. dealing with people. And I think non-attachment helps helps us do that to kind of take a step back and deal uh, with wisdom mind. Mm -hmm. uh, Claire, I have uh, for me my side one last question for you, and that is what what do you hope uh, people get out of your book? Uh, the illusion of life and death, uh, or what, what, uh, what 
more maybe more than one goal you have in mind for the readers. But what was your initial impulse in writing it to, to communicate to people? Well, I, my goal is to help people understand what life is, how we exist, how we create the phenomenal world that we experience, and to help that knowledge somehow become a deeper realization that all things change, all things are impermanent. We can't grasp after or hold on to anything. It's like grasping after rainbows. Um, and then hopefully that will lead people then to understand death or to try to understand it, try to understand the process, try to understand why death is not the end, uh, why it can lead to something. And I think a lot of people, I think given the, the uh, Pew reports on religion and public life that come out every year, uh, most people do believe there is something after, but it, that doesn't necessarily alleviate the fear. So I'm hoping that some of the fear will be alleviated and we'll learn how to die better in the West. Claire, um, your experience with uh, your partner, Brent, uh, his long uh, illness and uh, ultimate death, obviously had a big impact on you uh, and led to you writing the book. Um, and apparently he had what you call a good death. And uh, you, you quote him as saying near the end that death is easy. Um, what I'm curious about is how you reacted when he finally did. Good question. Leave. And did anything about your own reaction surprise you? No, not really. I mean, he just, you know, I was sitting there next to him. Um, and he had not said anything for a couple of hours. And I just sat there and let it be, let him be with whatever he needed it to be. And when he took his last breath, it was just like, I don't know, it was, to me, it was peaceful. It was, you know, I was, I was happy for, the, for him that he had a good death. One without fear, without regret. Uh, he pretty much died like he lived his life, pretty fearless. And, and uh, everything was an adventure, including his 18-month you know, cancer uh, adventure, as he called it. And so I think a few days later, you know, as things got quiet and settled in, and, you know, I felt sadness for me. <laughs> But I was happy for him that he'd had such a good death. And it also was very helpful for me, you know, for somebody to tell you that dying is easy. It's just so easy. You know, I thought it would be harder than this, but it's not. And I think what a great thing to leave somebody with is it's easy. And it's easy. And I'm curious if I may, Dennis, um, the grieving process did, um, did you grieve the loss? Did you feel the, the loss of your loved one? And despite his easy death, you are now left 
without him. Right. Um, and, and so you did experience a loss and did anything subsequently in the, you know, days, weeks, months following his passing, did anything uh, surprise you? And were there any challenges in, in adapting to that that you want to share? Well, you know, there's always a challenge when a person you loved and who really loved you, you know, is no longer there. Um, and that, you know, that kind of support, that, that connection um, that, uh, that we had. I have a feeling it was not the first connection that we'd had, that we'd had previous connections in previous lives, um, just from the way we met and seemed to just know each other almost instantaneously to the point that we could finish each other's sentences. Um, and I can honestly say that I guess I've always been a rather independent person. And so while I missed him and our relationship on, in one respect, it kind of opened some new doors for me in, in, my, in my writing life and, uh, you know, and uh, you know, the, the, the work that I do, um, which involved not only the spiritual side, but also for business and industry um, and the, the in work I was engaged in there, mm -hmm. uh, which I have now retired <laughs> from. Well put. What's the one thing you'd like to leave our uh, listeners and viewers with regarding their own uh, anticipation of death and the one uh, piece of advice you have about uh, having a good one? <laughs> well, I, I don't think much about my own. I mean, obviously I do. Uh, you know, death is like always right here. But I've always been sort of a... Uh, person that that thinks just you know what's going on right here right now and uh, I don't get too tied up in in uh, future or past my mother was very much a past person mm -hmm. um, and I'm reminded of the uh, uh, of this little book that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote and and it said you know do not pursue the past do not do not uh, lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. And that's really, that's been one of my favorite poems. And I try to remember that. And, and to remember that uh, dying is easy. You just have to go with the flow as Brent did. You have to go with the flow. And great, embrace great. all as the path. <laughs> I think that's great advice. And, and uh, you know, I, I go out to our listeners with that. And I, I think it is very thought provoking. Uh, Claire, thank you so very much. Uh, we we uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Look thank forward you. to reading the entire book. And uh, for those listening in, please, whether you're listening on a podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, please uh, uh, click the subscribe button. It's free. And uh, we want to get our subs subscription numbers up. So there you go. Thank you so very much, Thank Claire. Phil. Thank, Thank you, you, Claire. And um, best of luck with the uh, time you have remaining. And may you, you and all of us have a, a good death when it comes and a good life on the way. Right. Right. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.